There we go. I know, it all started with this lecture. Look at it. I can't, it doesn't even hold my Bible in my notes. And now you all are thinking, man, with a small lectern like that, he'll probably finish early. No, we're not. <laughs> I know <never> can. <laughs> Let's see. Okay, today we... Uh, Today we're starting, uh, or we are in Romans 8, and we started in uh, last week in, in the first four verses of Romans 8, and uh, today we're going to pick it up in verse 5, and uh, ideally get down through about verse 11. Uh, so let's read it first. Let's just read the passage beginning in verse 1. Because verses one through four uh, are just uh, they're part of the whole process, uh, uh, the whole uh, argument all the way down through 11. So let's start in verse four, verse one, I mean, and read all the way through 11. He says, therefore, thou, therefore, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law, that is the law of God or the Mosaic law, could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who indwells you. Okay? So last week we were looking at verses 1 through 4. What do you remember from that? Oh, that's a cue, by the way. That's when you're supposed to answer questions. The, the word, therefore, the connection to the previous uh, scriptures in chapter 7, okay. 3 and 5, it was continuing of that argument, not the one that was just immediately preceding it. Okay. So, uh, okay. Paul kind of jumped to that. Yeah. Okay, great. His... Uh, uh, yeah, his his comments that he begins to make here in chapter eight 
kind of refer back uh, as far back as, as uh, verse 6 of chapter 7 and really even go all the way back to chapter 5. This whole idea of since we are in Christ now, there is no condemnation goes back to things that he was saying in chapter, put back in chapter 5 before he gets into that whole discussion of the law and the flag, uh, law and sin and our relationship to the law and sin. So it, so it really ties back to, to things Paul's been saying all the way through the the chapter or through the book up through chapter five. What else? Well, related to that, the, uh, I don't really understand why it doesn't go back to two verses, the last two verses in chapter seven. I'm sorry, I don't have my Bible in there. I'm getting ready to go and play. But the uh, last two verses in chapter seven—that seems like that's where the tieback is to me. And my beef with theologians and commentators is they make things too complex. <laughs> not intended to be so complex. So that's my personal beef. Okay. Okay, so I got to say that. Thank you. <laughs> so that, that, that was Jim's two cents for today before he leaves us. <laughs> Anybody else? We talked about what the law couldn't do, God did. Okay. Okay. And what was it the law couldn't do? Couldn't bring us salvation. Okay. Okay. Couldn't make us right with God, but God did. How did God do this? How did God do what the law could not do? Well, Christ fulfilled the requirement of the law. Okay. Okay. Good. Uh, I was going to ask, and I think you clarified. What What did you mean by the requirement? What is the requirement? Okay. Okay. Great. Good. Yeah. So, so the way that God fulfilled the requirement of the law is that He gave His Son, and His Son took that requirement of the law, the death for our sin, upon Himself. Okay. Anything else? Is that where He talks about the symbol, the law, the Spirit of life? Yes. Uh huh. Mm hmm. In verse two, He says, "For the law, the Spirit." Of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Yeah. We talked. Oh, were you going to say something about? I was just thinking there are several laws uh, that he talks about that are not the Mosaic law. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Law of sin and death. The law of sin. Yeah. 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 So he. So once again, as he did in the in uh, the previous verses uh, in chapter seven, at the end of chapter seven, he introduces some other ideas of law besides simply the idea of Mosaic Law, and we, of course, talked about that at length at the time. But um, uh, for whom was... Uh, we were just talking a minute ago about this requirement of the law was met in Christ. For whom was it met? Okay. Uh, uh, pardon? Okay, uh, how specifically does he say it? You're all right in this, but how how does he identify us? Individually. Uh, 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 yes, yes, yeah. And and I made that point. There again, if I could ask better questions, I'd get the answers I want. Okay. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> What is, how does the verse put it? Yes. Okay. 
for those who walk according to the Spirit. Okay, those are the ones for whom the requirement of the laws are. And the reason I want to hit on that, I wanted to bring that out, is because as we move on into verse five, he's building on what he just said in verse four. And so as we look at this passage beginning in verse five, uh, we want to keep in mind that he has just described two kinds of people. Those who walk according to the flesh and those who walk according to the spirit. Okay, those are the two kinds of people he's identified. So going on now in verse five, he says, for those who are according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit for the mind set on the flesh is death. But the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, Yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who indwells you. Okay, of course, we've uh, just read that before. We read it again now to kind of get it into our minds. There are several things that I want to point out to you. One, as I've already mentioned, is that uh, is that these verses that we're looking at are directly connected with what he's just said in the first four verses. So we don't want to we don't want to just forget last week's lesson and go on and make a separate lesson. We want to realize all these things tie in together. OK, um, the other thing I want to point out to you is that in understanding who he's talking about, when he's talking about those who are according to the flesh and those who are according to the spirit and figuring out what he's talking about, the key verse for interpreting that is verse nine. Okay, so look at verse nine. It's it's a, it's kind of the, the the verse that really is the clue as to who he's talking about here. Who are those who walk according to the flesh, and who are those who walk according to the spirit? According to verse nine. Pardon? Whether or not the Spirit of God will. Okay, okay, which is another way of saying. What? Who has the Spirit of God? Believers. Believers, okay. So what we need to understand is that is that when he's talking in this chapter, in these verses, when he's talking about those who are in the Spirit or the Spirit's in them, and we'll get into all that in a minute, or those who are according to the Spirit or those who walk according to the Spirit, he's talking about believers. And when he's talking about somebody who's not walking according to the Spirit, he's talking about somebody who does not have the Spirit. In other words, it's an unbeliever. Okay. Now, this is important for us to understand. To understand what he's saying here in Romans 8, we need to understand he's talking about believers in contrast to unbelievers. He's contrasting those two groups of people. Okay. Now, this can be a little confusing because as you read through these verses and you read about those that, that are in the spirit and those that aren't, you know, it can bring up in our mind another passage, which is very similar, which is what passage? 
the idea of whether or not we walk in the Spirit or are led by the Spirit. Is it... Okay, Galatians chapter 5. The end of Galatians chapter 5. Remember that classic passage where he gives the fruits of the Spirit and the deeds of the flesh. Okay, and, uh, and he talks about being led by the Spirit there. Okay, And so very often, because we're familiar with Galatians chapter 5, it's very easy when we read Romans six or Romans eight to kind of just default to the idea that he's that he's contrasting or, or he's talking about two different ways that the believer can walk because that's what he's doing in Galatians five. In Galatians five, he's talking about whether or not a believer allows himself to be led by the Spirit or whether he just simply walks in the, according to the dictates of the flesh. Okay, So that is a possibility for the believer. Knowing that, it's very easy when we read Romans chapter 8, particularly as you start out in verse 1 and, and down through uh, verse 5, etc., as you're reading down through it, to think that's what he's talking about until you get to verse 9. And when you get to verse 9, it becomes clear. He's not talking about whether a believer is walking in the flesh or walking according to the Spirit. He's talking about an unbeliever versus a believer. Okay? So one of the things we're going to do today is we're going to draw this contrast that Paul draws in this passage. But I wanted to point out to you there that this is not Galatians 5. This is Romans 8. It's a totally different situation, okay? He's talking about something different here. Uh, the other thing I want to work through with you here is uh, some, some kind of important connections. It's just kind of interesting the way Paul says things here. And he uses terms and, and he kind of goes, uh, I don't know any better way to say it than that. There's just these interesting parallels in the passage. And I want you to think about it. Okay, so, for example, last week we talked about this uh, in verse one. He says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And we talked about this idea of being in Christ. Right. So we have this word in. And in verse one, we learn that you are in Christ. Okay. And we also see that in verse 10. You notice down in verse 10, he says, if Christ, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, no, that's wrong. Okay, so in, in verse 1, we have you in Christ. Then in verse 10, we have what? We have Christ in you. Okay, so... He kind of talks about it both ways. At one point, he's talking about you being in Christ. And another point, he's talking about Christ being in you. And this is all a description of the person who is according to the Spirit. Verse 5. Or one who walks according to the Spirit. Verse 4. That's somebody who is in Christ and in whom Christ is. Okay? But you'll notice... Uh, in uh, in verse nine, he says, "However, you are not in the flesh, but what? Excuse me, in the spirit. In the spirit. So we also have you in the spirit, okay? But we also have what?" 
In addition to you being in the Spirit, we have... We have the Spirit in you. Okay? It goes both ways. Okay? You're in the Spirit. The Spirit's in you. Okay? So these are some interesting connections you want to pick up on uh, as you go through uh, the passage. Uh, Then I want you to notice uh, along the same lines of kind of interesting uh, things that he does here in the passage. In verse 5, and verse 6, and in verse 9, he talks about, whom does he talk about in addition to us? He talks about who? Okay, so besides, besides people, besides believers and unbelievers, who does he talk about? There's another who in there. Besides the believers and unbelievers. For those who are according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. For those who are according to the spirit. Okay. So we have just the term spirit. Okay. Which, of course, is a reference to the Holy Spirit. Right. Okay. But as you go down and you get to verse nine. How does he identify the spirit? Okay, as both the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ. Which incidentally implies the Trinity, right? Because you have the Spirit of God, you have the Spirit of Christ, and you have the Spirit Himself. Okay? So you have in so without it being overtly stated, you have you have a discussion of the Trinity here. In this passage, which is just a. It's also, I was thinking too, is those who seem to separate God and Christ, it seems to be a verse that basically says it's the same. Okay. And it implies that the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ are the same. Okay. 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 Good. So, in personality, they are distinct, we believe, when it comes to the Trinity, but in essence, they are the same. Okay. Uh, so, that's a whole other discussion of the Trinity. Uh, we won't get into that, but, but that. That union or oneness of God, of Christ and God the Father and the Holy Spirit is being brought out in this passage. And what's exciting about that is the idea that if we are believers, if we are according to the Spirit, we have the fullness of God with us. Okay? And, and so that's kind of the exciting part about that. Um, okay, there, there's something else I want to point out about this passage. And this kind of goes back to verse, verses 4 and 5. You notice in verse 4 he says that uh, the requirement of law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And then he says in verse 5, for those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit the things of the Spirit. So, obviously, in verse 5, the term according to the flesh and the term according to the Spirit is synonymous with the terms in verse 4, who walk according to the flesh or who walk according to the Spirit. Okay? You see that? In other words, in verse 4, he's just made a statement about 
those who walk according to the flesh and those who walk according to the Spirit. And then in verse 5, he talks about those same two groups of people. He just eliminates the word walk. He just uses the phrase uh, uh, according to the flesh or according to the Spirit. But that's the same thing. Okay? So the person who walks according to the flesh is the same person who is according to the flesh. And the person who walks according to the Spirit is the same person who is according to the Spirit. Alright? So, uh, that's just to keep us from... I just wanted to bring that out to keep us from getting confused. But I wanted to point out something about what he means when he says those who are according to the flesh. What does he mean when he says so-and-so walks according to the Spirit? What does he mean? And he uses two words there. Okay? Uh, and the first, uh, the first word that he uses is the word we translate walk. Okay? And it's a Greek word. I think it said uh, uh, pronounced peripatusin. Uh, I think is how you pronounce it. Okay? It's a Greek word. And it really has the idea of spending time in a place. Okay? So it's, it's the idea of walking about. Okay? So you might find yourself walking at Trinity, okay? Meaning, you spend some time here and you walk about in the building, okay? So when he talks about those who are walking according to the flesh, it's the, there's an idea of permanence. There's an idea of, of a continuing, a going-on process, okay? And, and then he says they walk according. We, and then we have the word according, preposition according there. And that translates a Greek word kata, and and uh, it's a you know like all prepositions, it can you know have all kinds of different ideas to it. But it carries with it, particularly here in this passage, it carries with it uh, having to do with a place. Okay, uh, having uh, have, having some connection with a place. So the idea when he says that they walk according to the flesh or they walk according to the Spirit, the idea is this is a person who, who has this kind of ongoing walking about in the flesh or this ongoing walking about in the Spirit. It's a, it's a, and it's an ongo- so it's not just a one-time thing. It's the, it is the characteristic of their life. Okay? That's why we understand here that he's talking about something different than when a believer occasionally acts in the flesh. Okay? Like he talks about in Galatians chapter 5. That can happen with a believer. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about this kind of ongoing characteristic of the life. And there are those for whom the ongoing characteristic of their life is they walk about in the flesh. And there are those whose their ongoing characteristic of their life is they walk about in the spirit. And you can think about it this way, you know. Some of you ladies, you you want to peripatusen kata coals or Dylans, right? Okay, you want to walk about in coals and in Dillers. But there's another class of people, and that's the class of people who want to walk about in Lowe's and Home Depot, right? Okay? Two classes of people, right? <laughs> okay? And never the twain shall meet, okay? Uh, so, the idea is being in a place and spending time in that place and walking about in that place, okay? 
And there are those of us, or there are people who do that with the flesh. And there are those who do that with the Spirit. Now, those who do that with the flesh, when he's talking about flesh there, that's not, he's not talking about our bodies. That's not what he has in mind here. But he's using the term flesh here as Paul oftentimes does in his writings. Uh, he's, uh, I've got a good quote here, so let me see if I can catch it here in my notes. Uh, he's using it as uh, uh, Greyhouse refers to it as the entire human person under the power of sin. John Stott calls it the whole of our humanness viewed as corrupt and unredeemed. Okay, So it's the idea of the total person still in bondage to sin. His, his, not just his body, but his soul, his spirit, his whole being is still under the dominion of sin. And that's the sense in which Paul is using the flesh here. And those, those who are according to the flesh are those people who walk about their whole character of life is in reference to their whole total fallen being. Okay? Their whole humanness as it is corrupted by sin. That's how they function. That's how they think. That's how they live. Those are the things that motivate them. Those are the things that inspire them. Those are the things to which they devote themselves. They may have all the trappings. Some, some people may have all the trappings of, of religion, of of good deeds or whatever, but it's all done in reference to the flesh and it's all done in reference to self. That's why it's so hard to reason with people. Yes. You think you can just explain it to them and they'll understand. Right. But, but they're, and, and he talks about that because he talks in these verses about the idea of the mindset, doesn't he? He talks about how their mind thinks. Notice in verse... Uh, in verse 6, he says, For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. It's a whole mindset. It's not just an occasional thought or two. It's the way their mind is set. Okay? And, and so, so what he's contrasting here is he's contrasting the unbeliever. He's the person or she is the person who walks about with reference to this total human person that is fallen and corrupted by sin. And, and their mindset is focused on themselves as ones who are fallen. Now, they don't think of themselves as fallen, but because they are fallen and their minds are focused on themselves as operating independently of God, because of that, their whole mindset is death. Death being, ultimately, separation or alienation from God. And, of course, that also entails the whole idea of physical death as well. Okay? So, this is how the unbeliever's life is characterized. They walk according to the flesh, they walk about in the flesh. Their whole life is, is in reference to just themselves in their own fallen condition. Okay? 
Yeah. Yes. That's great. Yeah, that's a good passage. You are, of course, getting ahead of me. But that is a good passage. We're still talking about the pagans here and you want to talk about the saints. But that's good. That is a great passage to illustrate that. Thanks. Um, So, what we understand now is this person who is according to the flesh or who walks according to the flesh is a person who has a mindset that's set upon the flesh and because it's set upon the flesh, their mindset really is death. But we... Yeah, yeah. It's easy to do, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, thankfully, it's not our place to decide whether they're believers. I mean, we want to. We want to know if somebody's a believer because we want to know if we can fellowship with them. But ultimately, of course, we have to leave it in God's hands and He knows. And, and that's the exciting thing about the Holy Spirit is although I don't know, the Holy Spirit knows. And He can take the things that I say and the way I live my life to shine light in the lives of unbelievers or people who maybe think they're Christians and who aren't, right? So, uh, so one of the things, one of the ways I think that that the Lord shines the light and helps people who are in the flesh see that they're in the flesh is they rub shoulders with people who actually walk according to the Spirit and people who actually have a mindset of the Spirit. And if we actually live that out, like Galatians five says, if we actually live that out of being walking in the Spirit and thinking according to the Spirit, if we live that out. When we're rubbing shoulders with somebody who thinks they're a believer, but maybe really isn't, they, we may not see the difference, but they see the difference. They notice the difference, you know. And uh, so I think that's one way that they go. Well, my fear is that for those of us who are Christians, the pagans are not doing this for the display of us, but for those of us who mess up, I'm going to hope I don't make well, that's always a possibility, and Paul was worried about that too. <laughs> he talked about that. <laughs> Those are good issues that you bring up there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've been thinking about those very things myself lately. Um, but I wanted to point out a couple other things about the person who's according to the flesh. Then we'll talk about the person who's according to the spirit, okay? The person who is according to the flesh, whose mindset is according to the flesh, what is their relationship with God, according to this passage? Pardon? Oh, yeah, they do. They're hostile. They're hostile to God, he says. He says, those 
In verse uh, 7, he says, because the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It's an enmity with God. There's this, in the mindset, there's this deep-seated antagonism to God. And I want to say deep-seated because oftentimes they don't know it. You know, the kind of people we're just talking about who, you know, who look like they're Christians and they, and they give, you know, they say all the right words and they, you know, kind of outwardly do the right things. They go to church and they, you know, uh, well, they're not only deceptive, but they're deceived. So it's not, it's not always that they're trying to deceive us. They think that that's in fact how they are. But what he says about those people is that even though they give lip service to God, actually at their root, at their very core, there's this hostility, there's this antagonism to God. A classic example, we were talking about the testimony here a week or two ago. We were talking about the testimony of Martin Luther and how he was this devout, devout monk. And he was, you know, he was like, you know, he was like the, he was like the gold standard as far as monks were concerned because he was so devout in what he tried to do to keep the law of God. But he couldn't do it. And he struggled so much that he actually got to a point where he even recognized it himself. And he talks about it, how he hated God because he tried so hard to do what God wanted to do and he couldn't do it. And, it, and there was just this, he was just bitter with God because God had this standard that he couldn't take. In fact, in there in Romans chapter 1 where he talks about the righteousness of God. And he would, before he was saved, he would read that passage and it would just infuriate him. Well, Martin Luther, you know, thinks deeper than a lot of us think. But, but this is the mindset of the person who walks according to the flesh. is this hostility, this antagonism of God. He says, because, he says, they cannot subject themselves to the law of God, for they're not even able to do so. And then he does something else that I'm glad he does, because... It's very easy for us. We've talked so much about the law of God and the inability to keep the law of God and all that sort of stuff. And we're sitting here as Gentiles in the 21st century and go, oh, what difference does that make to me? You know, I, you know, I don't have any relevance to the Jewish law. But in verse 8, he kind of throws in the clincher, which is what? Those are the flesh that cannot please God. Cannot please God. So even if we set the whole law of God side, the law of God thing aside and say, well, that's not relevant to us. The person of the flesh can't do anything to please God. Okay, I'm going to do my Okay. And what about what about the believer who backslides? That's well. She's thinking, Mike. She's thinking. <laughs> no, these are great questions. These, and this is really the issue of Galatians. <laughs> Boy, yeah. <laughs> he's sleeping in the doghouse tonight, and he's only got a little dog, so it's not going to be very comfortable. <laughs> uh, this is, in one sense, the Galatians 5 issue, because believers can live according to the flesh. They can't actually live like the flesh dictates. And, and then we have all those fruits of the, or deeds of the flesh that he talks about, enmity and strife and all those things that go on. So yes, that is possible for a believer to do. But what Paul is saying is the characteristic of the believer, if 
you take the totality of their life, the characteristic is that their mind is set on the Spirit. Okay, that's the characteristic of the believer. So if you have someone, so, so a, a believer can at times lapse into behaving according to the flesh. Okay? But the characteristic of his life is his heart yearns for God, his mind is set on the Spirit, he longs for those things, and he makes through short periods of time or periods of defeat. But ultimately, the Lord says, if he's my child, I'm going to discipline him. And he says, if he's not disciplined, he's not my child. So if we have somebody that says, well, you know, I made a profession of faith, but now I'm backslidden and been backslidden for 20 years, chances are they're not a believer. Because what Paul says here is the characteristic of the believer is they have a mindset that's set on the spirit. And, and, uh, and I was trying to think of a way to illustrate that. There's a, how many of you have watched The Hunt for Red October, the movie Hunt for Red October? Okay, you know, great line in The Hunt for Red October. There's that scene in The Hunt for Red October where the, I don't know what you call this technician, but the guy who runs the sound thing, you know, the sonic thing, the sonar thing, okay? He's running the sonar thing and they're, and, and they're just kind of out there floating around and they know that Red October's out there, but, you know, they're, they're really not paying a lot. And he's listening to that and he hears this gibberish coming over his, uh, what do you call it, sonic? Sonar. Sonar, yeah, coming over his sonar. He hears this gibberish coming over and he wants to figure out what it is and his software program tells him it's what he calls a seismic anomaly. Remember that? It is a seismic anomaly, okay? But he's not satisfied with that, so he slows it way down. And when he slows it way down, remember, he can hear that rhythm and he knows it's man-made, okay? And so he calls the commander over. And he's trying to explain to the commander that this software was originally designed to do geological stuff. That's how it was first designed and how it's been adapted for use in submarines. And he says, he says, so it hears this sound and, he's, and, and he plays the sound at full speed for the, for the commander. And he says, and it hears this sound and it says it's a seismic anomaly. He says, but what happens is because this software was originally designed for geological stuff. He says, when it hears something it can't figure out, he says, we love this phrase at our house, it runs home to mama, he says. It runs home to mama, okay? And, and so then he slows the sound way down and he shows his commander that it actually sounds like a man-made sound. Great, great point in the movie, I love it. He says, it just runs home to mama, he says. Well, that's what it means to have a mindset. It just runs home to mama. And with the unbeliever, when push comes to shove, his mindset runs home to mama, and mama is the flesh. But for the believer, for the Christian, when push comes to shove, he fails, he falls, he makes mistakes, he has crises in his life, he doesn't always do well, but when push comes to shove, his heart runs home to mama. His heart runs home to the Holy Spirit. He runs home to God. That's the difference between the believer and the unbeliever. It's his default setting. That's exactly right. I was trying to think. Of, oh, go ahead. Well, now, I was listening to radio driving home one day and just thought about this and all the issues uh, out there, all the political correctness in our secular society. Almost everything I thought, you know, every position that politicians are taking is anti-Christian. I thought, it cannot be 
by this uh, chance that everything they take, whether it's you know whatever the name is, whatever it is, issue, they're anti, they're opposite Christians, and they're all pointing toward the Christians as the bad guys. Yeah. You know, I mean, it wasn't conspiracy. Well, it is a conspiracy from Satan. Yeah. Because Satan's the prince of the world. He's going to take every position that attacks Christ and Christianity. Yes. And I thought, you know, the innocent, you know, the mind of the flesh is hostile toward God. And so those people may not realize that they're taking a position hostile toward God. Yes. And it's like oh, First Corinthians two fourteen: the mind set on the flesh, or the carnal mind, yeah. cannot discern the things yeah. of the spirit because the spirit, I mean, they cannot even understand it. They don't yeah. need it. They can't get it. Yeah. Let's see. When I think about hostile, the hostile part, a couple of weeks ago in my work, there's a, a fellow who first got a call from me. He, he was talking to me, sharing some, some things. And it's just really interesting how you're talking about things of God, things of Easter. This is what we did in our Easter service. And then he, he turns right around and someone made an image of God. He uses profanity. Well, one of the guys in my office, he, he called him on it. Uh, and I. I tend to think that this, he, he meant facetiously, the one who called him on it, and, and the brother in Christ was greatly offended that someone was actually calling him. He doesn't know what like to be Christian. I can do this. And, and I, was, I was just amazed at the behavior, really, both of them, um, because the, the offended brother uh, struck me almost like in the, in the world of Pharisee. You know, <laughs> even Paul says yeah. that, you know, I can do everything, but not all things are problems. But I also know of the, the individual that called him on it. Is he wasn't doing it trying to nicely correct the brother. He was one of these people who were hostile yeah. toward God. And he's pointing out, oh, he's called me on things before. You know, I'll, make, I'll make a comment or, or uh, put a couple of dots together that seem to go in a really strange way, and, and he'll call me on it. But that's part of the hostility. And when yeah. I look at that, I don't necessarily see someone trying to correct me. That's someone who's hostile against God. And they're attacking me not because necessarily me of what I think it's what I stand for. Because the spirit in me, he that he's going hammered on. If nothing else, to justify why he believes the way he believes. Yeah. Yeah. Well like and that, you win that argument then then he's right. Then he's right. Oh, oh yeah. But you know, we how Satan uses this too, like mm-hmm. in the rule of politics. That's what's so hard is that you work with people that <coughs> You know, it's obvious we kind of laugh, you know, we know who they really are. Mm-hmm. And then they did a press conference and we're going, oh my goodness, I can't believe how they lied. But anyway, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. we'll work out soon. So, still doing good. Man, nothing's going to there was all political and the Easter message was missing. 
Wow. I mean, the whole thing was supposed to be about Christ and what we thought he was just talking about apologetics. I want to go back to to uh, I want to go back. I want to get control of this class again. Is what I want. <laughs> I want to go to what to the point Mike was making uh, is that the point Mike's making illustrates what we're talking about. I mean, when we're talking about unbelievers, I think the irony is that sometimes as Christians we expect unbelievers to act like Christians. They cannot do it, folks. That's what this verse says. They cannot do it. And so, their default position, okay, their mindset is the flesh. Is it any wonder to us when we have people in positions of political power or whatever kind of power, when we have people in positions of influence and power who are not believers, is it any wonder that they invariably default to that which is not pleasing to God? That's exactly what Paul is telling us here, isn't it? Well, it's even harder. What grabs me is you can explain it to them or hear what they're saying. That's a stupid position. Can't you see the truth? They can't. And then it comes back in, and you can't understand why they can't understand the truth, and why they can swallow something that's a lie just so easily. It's because they have a mindset. Yeah. They can't. Yeah. They have a mindset. And folks, the reason we ought to just fall on our knees in humility is to realize that that's exactly where we came from. It's exactly where we came from. And it's just by the mercy of God, not because there's anything in us, but it's the mercy of God and the grace of God that we still do not, that we do not still have that mindset which just defaults to the flesh, that just runs home to mama in any given crisis or situation. They cannot do otherwise, folks. They cannot do otherwise until their hearts are illuminated by the gospel of Christ and the Holy Spirit is indwelling them and they are indwelling the Spirit, until that happens, we should be shocked that they ever do anything good or they ever do anything right. Because it's just not in them. Okay? That's what Paul is trying to say. That's the person who is according to the flesh. That's not a very pretty picture. But he's got another whole theme running through this passage, doesn't he? And that's the person who's according to the Spirit. Okay. And the person who's according to the Spirit, he says, is the person who has a mindset on the Spirit. He's, he, he just... In his default position, he thinks about the Spirit. Now, now I want to be clear here. When he says his mind is set on the Spirit, he's not saying that the believer, the true Christian, thinks God thoughts 24-7. I mean, do you? I, I, you, know, I don't, you know, I don't typically think God thoughts when I'm, you know, stooped over my airless trying to figure out why it's not pumping paint. You know, uh, <laughs> you know, I, 
You know, there are many times in our day, I think of the classic example I like to think of is a new mother. Okay, here's a woman, say a woman who's just gotten married and she's a, she loves the Lord and she's, she's on fire for the Lord and she's all excited about the Lord and she's single and she's involved in all kinds of Bible studies and doing all kinds of stuff like that and she gets married and her husband and she are just... And, and, and all of you women who have been mothers will be able to relate to this if you were Christians at that point. Uh, and she's all excited about serving the Lord and her husband and they're working together in the church and then all of a sudden she has her first kid. And what happens? You're shot. All you can think about are dirty diapers and throw up, you know. And how do you get this kid to stop screaming at you? Because you're wanting to scream at it instead. So you want him to listen to you or her to listen to it. And, and all of a sudden, the new mother just thinks, where did my spirituality go? You know, I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to read the Bible. I can't have a quiet time because as soon as I wake up, this baby's screaming at me. And then you have another one. And then you have another one. And, and for some of us, you have another one, another one, another one. You know, you know and it just goes on. And the, and the poor new mother is just overwhelmed and she feels like she's no longer a spiritual person. But that's not what he means when he talks about the mind of the spirit. It's not that we're having God thoughts 24-7, but it's that it's the background theme of our life. I wanted to illustrate this using music, but I'm not a musician. So I was talking to my oldest daughter. And I said, okay, Gabriel, help me out on this one. You know, because I know this principle works in music. And so we were talking about a couple pieces of music. And one of them you all know is the Pachelbel Canon, right? It's the one they play at every wedding, right? Okay. And the Pachelbel Canon has what she called, I'll use her term, a bass line. And she says, we call it a bass line because it's the bass it's in the bass notes, okay? And it's about, I forget, she says seven or nine notes. Forget, but she says it just goes all the way through the piece. It's always there. All the way through the piece. But you don't always hear it. Many times the violins are playing or other things are playing and you don't hear that bass line. There's a similar thing, incidentally, and she was pointing out to me, not that I would know. Well, actually, I do know this one. In Beethoven's Fifth. Bum, 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 bum. Remember that? goes all the way through the piece, okay? But in Beethoven's Fifth, it's very dominant and it's very different instruments play. It's just, so it's not called the bass line. It's called something else. She gave me the term and I've forgotten since last night, okay? But, but the idea is, particularly like the one in the Pachelbel Canon, the bass line is it's there, but you don't always know it's there. But it's always there, okay? That's the mind that's set on the spirit, okay? So when you're out there, when you're over there, you're cleaning up the baby's throw up, you know, and, and the other kid is screaming in your ear uh, because you haven't given him his last Cheerio, you know, and, you know, and you're, just, you're just totally rattled. But underneath that all is the baseline of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And, you know, and us guys can relate to that too when we're on the job and trying to make a sales pitch or we're trying to solve a problem or whatever and our minds are completely consumed with that. It doesn't mean that our minds are on the flesh. That still, there's still that, for the believer, there's still that baseline. That God is there underneath it all and it all defaults back to Him. Okay? So, so this is the believer's life. He lives his life with a mindset on the Spirit. And he says, you'll notice he says, the mindset on the flesh is death. But he says, the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. And I kept looking at that and going, why does he mention that? Why does he say, why does he talk about them? You know, but the unbeliever says, the mindset on the flesh is death. But the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. And I'm going, where does that come from? And then I realized, oh, he's contrasting that. 
Because you'll notice with the unbeliever, there's two things about his mind. His mind is set on death and his mind is set on what? Hostility to God. Right? And the contrast to that is the believer who set up his mind being set on the flesh and on death, his mind is set on life. He thinks in terms of life. So whatever goes on in my life as a believer, ultimately when I default back to the Holy Spirit, when I think back to the Holy Spirit, what do I think in terms of? I think of life. I think of the life of Christ. I think of Christ in me. I think of eternal life. I think of the promise of eternal life. When I contemplate the prospect that I'm getting older and eventually I'm going to die, I don't despair. Why? Because I know I have Christ in me and I have the promise of the resurrection, which he gets to in this passage. Okay? So, so I have this mindset of life, but I also have a mindset of peace. What's he talking about? Well, he's contrasting it to the unbeliever whose mindset is hostility towards God. But the believer, when he thinks about God, there's not that basic root, deep-seated antagonism or hostility that we've talked about that the unbeliever demonstrates. But when I think about God, it's a pleasant thought. It's a glorious thought. Oh, that's you. Well, I've got a pretty good idea. But... When I think about God, I like thinking about God. I've kind of always read that as not that the unbeliever thinks of death, but that the things they think about, well, that's the result. And the same thing for the believer, it's not that I think of life. I should think of yeah. life. Yeah. The things that I do think of or that God calls me to think of result in life and peace. I mean, that's kind of the truth of the things. Right? Yes. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think that would be the, pro- the best way, or I should say, the the primary way to understand it. But, from Hebrews 2, we also know that believers live in live as slaves through fear of death all their lives. So, so there again, kind of the, the underlying theme in, in the unbeliever's life is the fear of death. That's what Hebrews says. Yeah. So, so, but I think you're right. They're not always thinking about dying. Most of them aren't thinking about dying. Try to keep them thinking about dying. But the things they do think about, that's the result. That's the impact in their life. That's the effect in their life. They had read, when our son died, uh, Mike and I talked later about how we could notice just a distinct difference between believers and non-believers at the funeral because the non-believers, they were fearful and they didn't know what to say. You know, and the Christians behave very differently if, when there is a tragedy or, you know, mm-hmm. a death. Yeah. And there is just a stark difference. Yeah. And that's what Paul's telling us. Isn't it? I can elaborate. I, I brought that up. I can remember. You can almost just tell. And even, even doing past yeah. some could not look upon them. Yeah. And even though it was painful, even for us or for the Christians, there would be tell the Christians, look, there's a baby. I love the baby. God loves the baby. Yeah. It hurts to lose the baby. Mm-hmm. The baby's in heaven. The non-believers could not even look. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's good. I had both in this life only. I would be of all men most miserable. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And so they're, yeah. they're miserable. That's where they are. Yeah, yeah. Yes, Gary. Well, unbeliever, the way that they 
view death. I mean, how can you say death is life to the unbeliever. The ways of death are life to the unbeliever. It motivates him and empowers him. Mm-hmm. Just like life and motivates him and empowers him. Yeah, good. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Great. Um, so then he gets down there to the last few verses, and, and we're just about out of time. But he gets down to those last few verses, and he says, However, you are not in the flesh, verse nine, or excuse me, verse 10. In, if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. Now, Commentators and even translators uh, differ on whether or not the spirit there in verse 10 is a reference to our spirit or it's a reference to the Holy Spirit. Okay, so you'll notice in uh, in the New American and in the NIV the word spirit is with the small letters, right? Small s. Okay, so clearly the New American translators of the New American translators of the NIV understand that to be a uh, be our spirit, our, our, our human spirit, okay? Uh, the ESV and the King James translate with a capital S, meaning they view it as the Holy Spirit, okay? So commentators kind of differ on that and, and discuss it back and forth. Uh, I, I kind of go both ways, but I tend to lean towards the idea that what he's talking about there is our spirit because he's contrasting it with our bodies, which are which are dead, but our spirits are alive. But however you view it, the idea there is that because we have Christ's Spirit in us, even though our bodies are dead right now, we're alive. <clears throat> okay, We're alive in Christ. And it doesn't end there. Because you have the Spirit in you, the Spirit of God in you, that God, whose Spirit lives in you, is the God who did what? First part of verse 11. Raised Jesus from the dead. What we were all talking about last week on Easter Sunday, right? He raised Jesus from the dead. And because He did that, and His Spirit lives in you, we know He's going to give life to what? What's He going to give life to? Our mortal bodies. Okay, this thing right here. Going to give life to it. It's kind of falling apart right now, right? You get a new body. <laughs> yeah, well, new body, changed body, all kinds of different ways you can put it, you know. Okay, um, that answers my question. Uh, what was your question? <laughs> I was going to get there, but, you know, when the part, part where it says, give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit, that means we're only alive now. Because the spirit in us, and I'm thinking, I was thinking the new life that we have with a new body in Christ Jesus. But you guys just answered that question. It is the life that is given to us in the spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Great. I got pretty specific. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so we have this hope then. We have the hope of the resurrection. The unbeliever doesn't have that. We have the hope of the resurrection. Not just that my spirit is going to live forever, but God created... Remember, go back in the Garden of Eden. He created us to be flesh and blood. That's what He wanted. Okay? And so, I don't know exactly what this new body is going to look like. And I don't know if you're going to be able to tell it's me. You know? Uh, I was thinking, as I was meditating on this yesterday, I was thinking, 
You know what I think we're going to look like? We're all going to look like a bunch of 20-year-olds. <laughs> you know, we're not going to have all these wrinkles and sags and, you know, and scars, you know. You know we're all going to, we're going to have those hot bodies of 20-year-olds. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't think God has yeah, I don't think he does either. Yeah, I don't think he... Maybe we're all going to be fat and happy. I don't know. But what I do know is that whatever body you give me is going to be pretty good because it's going to have to last a very long time. It is going to, as Paul says in Corinthians, take on immortality. Okay? So it's going to be pretty fantastic. Okay? That's our hope. It's a totally different frame of mind from the unbeliever. Well, I just want to do one more thing before we quit. I just want to think about this. You in Christ, Christ in you. You in the Spirit, the Spirit in you. And I want to think about that for a second. Paul uses it both ways, right? He talks about it both ways. One moment he says, well, it's Christ in you. And then he says, it's you in Christ. And, uh, of course, one thing that the whole thing communicates to me is just the totality of our experience with Christ. It's kind of like being out in the middle of the ocean and swallowing all that ocean water. You know, it's in you and you're in it. You know, it's just total immersion, you know, if you will. But they really kind of communicate different ideas, both of which are true. When you think of being in Christ, surrounded by Christ, what does that make you think of? What, what does that imply for you about your situation if you're in Christ? Security. That's what I think of. I'm safe. I'm safe. I'm protected. I'm in Christ. But when I talk about Christ in me, what does that make you think about? <laughs> okay. Okay. What would be another way to put that? I think it was how others see you or what you emanate. Okay. Okay. Good. I think of I think of influence, power. When I think of Christ in me, or when I think of the Spirit in me, I think of that. And and, it, and it's you know, and it's what you two guys have just said. You know, it's it's how we shine. You know, it, because it's 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 coming out of us. It's coming out of it. It's it's internal to us, and it it is what motivates us. It's what empowers us. It's what influences us and influences the way we... So if I have the Spirit in me, if I have Christ in me, he's, He makes me think certain ways that I wouldn't think otherwise because He's in me. And because I am in Him, I am secure, I'm safe. He'll get into that at the end of Romans chapter 8. You know, we're in Christ. You know, so, you know neither death nor life nor angel. You know, all that sort of, none of that stuff can touch me because I'm in Christ. Like John 15, you abide me and I abide you, you shall bear much fruit. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Great passage. Great passage. Well, those are all great things. You guys are great today. Yeah, I lost total control here, uh, which is good. It means you're thinking. And I appreciate it. Next week, we'll go on beginning in verse 12. Now we're just thinking we're actually on track. Well, I didn't go that far. <laughs> okay, I'll